Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Have surprise endings. You know, you follow along in a story, and if you're able to predict how it's going to end from the time that it starts, you may not even want to listen to it anymore. We watch movies. I never really want to watch a movie that I know exactly how it's going to end. I like for me to be expecting one thing, and then as it comes to the end, something totally switches around, and I realized that my expectations were off and, and that it ended up ending somehow totally different from what I was expecting. The surprise for me just makes it worth the wait. Jesus was an expert storyteller. He told a surprise uh, story one time to a group of people, and he told it in such a way that they were not expecting the ending. This was uh, a story that as he was going along and telling it, it was something that was familiar to them. And they probably expected to, they knew how the story would play out. But as it went along, turned out the ending was a surprise. It went something like this. Luke records this in uh, Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of, tithes of all, that I, all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who, who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This story takes place in the temple, or just outside the temple, in Jerusalem. Now, the temple was a, uh, the, the dominant or dominating feature of the landscape in Jerusalem. Anywhere you are in the city, you could see the temple because the temple was at the highest point in all of Jerusalem. That's why in the story, Jesus says that these men went up to the temple and as they left, they went down to their homes because the temple was at the top of the city. Everybody could see it. And it was common for the Jews to go to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. We can imagine uh, these two men might have been going to the temple to pray during one of their times of corporate prayer. Every day at 9 a.m. and then again at 3 p.m., all the people would gather at the temple to pray together. If this is what was going on, if this is the setting of the prayers that we have here in Luke 18, it would have been crowded. There would have been people everywhere. Of the two men who went to the temple to pray, one was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a Jewish sect who, that existed in the time of Jesus, and they, along with the Sadducees, made up the ruling class of the Jews. They were highly respected among the people for being very knowledgeable. They knew the scriptures. They knew them forward and backward. They were experts in interpreting the law of Moses. You know, we, we read Paul's letters, and it's obvious from Paul's letters that he knew the Old Testament very well. Why is that? Well, before he became a Christian, he was a Pharisee. The Pharisees knew the Old Testament very well, and they insisted on obedience to the law. 
See, at that time, many Jews had been giving in to the cultural influence of the Romans and, and the Greek culture around them. And the Pharisees saw it as their duty to stop that and to get everybody back into the Jewish way of life. They performed strict obedience to the law, and they also had their own rituals that they held very strictly to. It included things like, as we see here, fasting and tithing. And in, they did this in extreme ways. And their hope was that if the Jewish people could gain back their purity, God would bring his kingdom and kick out the Romans. And we see this concern for purity in this Pharisee that we read about. We read this, the Pharisee standing by himself was praying. Why was he standing by himself? Now, it could be that the Pharisee was standing by himself in, in kind of a prominent place because he wanted everybody around him to see what he was doing, to see what he was saying. And that could be it. We read in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 23 that Jesus mentions the Pharisees loved places of honor and loved doing good deeds to be seen by men. But what I think is more likely in, in this scenario is that the Pharisee was standing by himself to avoid contact with anyone who might make him unclean. He didn't want to risk the possibility of touching someone who wasn't as good as him. He didn't want to come in contact with anybody that wasn't as pure as he was. We see that he was very concerned with his own purity. And then we hear his prayer. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. One of the first things we recognize or that we realize or notice about this guy is that he was very impressive. I mean, you read all these things about the way he talked about himself and you think, man, this guy is pretty good. He's really got it all together. He, uh, if you were to think about all the sinner categories that you could think of, he didn't fit in any of them. He was not a, uh, he was not a thief, not an adulterer. He, he couldn't fit in any categories like that. He wasn't an extortioner. He wasn't even like a tax collector. He didn't fit in any of those sinner categories. There were a lot of bad things that he did not do. And then on top of that, there were a lot of good things that he did do. He did a lot of really good things. He gave tithes of everything that he owned. Now, the law of Moses only required tithing on certain things. You may remember reading back in the law of Moses that there are certain things that the, uh, the Israelites were supposed to tithe, but the Pharisees went a step beyond, and not only did they give of the certain things that the law required, but everything that they owned, they gave some of that back to God. Whenever they would buy food from uh, a market, if they were unsure whether the person who gave them that food had tithed on it, they went ahead and tithed on it again just to make sure that they were doing everything that they possibly could to remain pure. It says that he fasted twice a week. The law only required Jews to fast one day a year. On the Day of Atonement was the only day that the law of Moses required everyone to fast. This man fasted twice a week. We read from other sources that the Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. 
So every Monday and Thursday, specifically, they did not drink any water. Two days a week, they did not drink water. And this is the guy that we see here, going above and beyond. Now, we haven't yet heard the prayer of the tax collector. Just from hearing this Pharisee, we think, now this guy is the winner. It would be hard to beat this kind of purity. Anybody who heard this prayer, anybody who was standing around hearing him would think, if anybody is righteous, it's this guy. It has to be this guy. But without commenting on the Pharisee's prayer, Jesus moves on and talks about the tax collector. Now, we've probably, uh, you've probably heard about tax collectors from reading the Gospels, and you've probably realized that the people did not have very high opinions uh, or a high opinion about tax collectors. They were not very well liked. These were the Jews who had been recruited by the ruling authorities to help collect all the dues to pay these uh, governing officials. Now, there were two reasons why the people did not like tax collectors. For one, the tax collectors were known for being dishonest. They were in charge of collecting taxes from people, but they collected more than they had to. They abused the poor to make themselves rich. In Palestine, where most people were very poor, the tax collectors were very well off. If everyone else was driving old clunkers, the tax collectors were driving Porsches because they were just taking this money from everybody else. Now, the second reason that they were not very well liked was because they were seen as colluding with the enemy. Because these were people who were Jews who had been recruited by these oppressive ruling authorities to basically keep these people under the thumb of the people who ruled them. They were Jewish by blood, but they had sold their birthright for the almighty dollar. And so they were not well liked by anyone. Everybody who would have seen the tax collector praying at the temple would have been thinking the same thing. Look at that dirty, rotten guy. Nobody likes him. And he knows that nobody likes him. We shouldn't expect much when a tax collector goes to the temple to pray. But listen to Jesus. He says, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee stood by himself to avoid contamination. What about the tax collector? It said that he was standing far off. Now we know uh, from some later uh, Jewish texts that during these times of corporate prayer, when it came time for everybody to gather for prayer, some of the people who kind of helped run the show at the temple would gather up everybody that they considered unclean, and they would shove them all to the very back. And they would rope them off by themselves. Now, we don't know for sure whether the tax collector had been forced to stand far off or if he did it by himself. But one way or another, however it happened, he stood far away because he knew who he was. And he knew what people thought about him. He knew that he wasn't welcome to pray with the rest of the congregation. He was fully aware of what they thought of him. So he stands far away. And Jesus says that he did not even lift his eyes. 
Now this may be kind of lost on us because we're used to when everybody prays, we pretty much everyone looks down. We all you know, kind of drop our heads and we look toward the floor when we pray. In fact, people think it's a little bit strange if you don't look down when you pray. But this was not normal during the time of Jesus. What was normal was for people to look up when they prayed. So for the tax collector to be looking downward was unusual. He would not look up to heaven, but it says that it beat his breast. Again, this is something that we're not really used to. In, in our culture, when somebody's beating their breast, it's because something great has happened. We're more likely to see somebody beat their breast after a slam dunk than during a prayer. But in that culture, people would beat their breast to show sorrow, to show sadness. Luke records at the uh, crucifixion when everybody witnesses what happened to Jesus, and they see him die on the cross, it said those who had gathered to watch went home beating their breasts because it showed a great sadness. This is what the tax collector was doing. While beating his breast, the tax collector words his short prayer, God be merciful to me a sinner. He doesn't have much to say. I mean, what could he say? He can't say that he has avoided all the sinner categories like the Pharisee. He is a tax collector. He can't say that he fasts twice a week. He indulges. He can't say that he gives tithes of all that he owns. He takes. He doesn't give. So what could he say? Only God be merciful to me, a sinner. If we were there, we would have sneered. If we had seen him, we would have joked. We'd have, we'd have said, hey, haven't seen you here in a while. We would joke with our friends and say, man, he's got a lot to make up for before God will ever listen to anything he has to say. If anyone here is righteous, it is not this guy. Now, nothing of what Jesus has said so far would have shocked anybody. This is... This is the story going exactly how they would have expected it. This is what they see day in and day out. Nothing unusual in what Jesus is saying so far. Nothing to raise anyone's eyebrows. But then he says this. I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What Jesus just said would have shocked his audience. It is not the Pharisee who was made right in God's sight, but the tax collector, the dirty one, the known sinner, was the one who went home justified. To many people, this would have been unacceptable. They would have been asking, Jesus, do you know what the tax collector has done? Do you know all the people that he's ripped off? Do you realize that? Do you know all the good things that the Pharisee has done? Didn't you hear his prayer? Didn't you hear that? How could you say that it's the tax collector who went home justified and not the Pharisee? How could you say that? You know, we've read this story so many times that I don't think that this really shocks us like it would have shocked them. I don't think it surprises us any because we're used to hearing this story. But I wonder how we would receive it if Jesus were to tell a similar story in our day. 
how would he tell this story? I think it would sound something like this. Two men went to church to pray. One an elder, the other an abortion rights activist, or an LGBTQ supporter, or a drug dealer. The elder sat on the front row and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, abortion rights activists, LGBTQ supporters, or even like this drug dealer. I preach once a month, and I put 10% of my income into the collection basket. But the other person, the abortion rights activist or LGBTQ supporter or a drug dealer, wouldn't walk past the back row, but put his face in his hands and cried, praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his home justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That would be hard to hear, wouldn't it? It was hard for Jesus' listeners to hear what he said. How could he say that the tax collector, the tax collector, went home justified? How could I say, or how could Jesus have said that the abortion rights activists would have gone home justified? And the answer is that the tax collector recognized his need before God. The tax collector recognized that he needed God's mercy. Whereas the Pharisee didn't think he needed anything. Think about how they prayed. What did the Pharisee even ask for? Nothing. Because he didn't think that he needed anything. But the tax collector knew he was a sinner. There was no hiding. Instead, he simply humbled himself. He confessed his sin and trusted in God's mercy. Now, you, you, may not, you may not have liked that I mentioned an elder or, or mentioned some of these other groups, and, and of course, even telling this story is a little bit uncomfortable. And I, Of course, I'm not trying to make any sort of statement about any of these people. I think that our elders are fantastic, and I would not have said that if I thought that they actually had this problem. But I want you to understand that what Jesus talked about here was something that was challenging them. It was challenging what they expected about the person who we should consider righteous. That it is not the person who looks really righteous, who we all would expect to be righteous, but it is the person from whatever background that they come who kneels before God and asks for mercy who is made righteous. There is the coming a day of judgment. And God will reveal what is in our hearts. There will be a great reversal. Those who have exalted themselves in this life, God will humble. And those who have humbled themselves in this life, God will exalt. And there will be many surprises on that day. Luke notes that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Notice that Jesus had a target audience. There are uh, th these people who he thought needed to hear 
what he had to say. These people who needed to hear this parable, they were people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. This was the Pharisee. Now, it wasn't every single Pharisee. You know, we, we tend to talk pretty, pretty badly about the Pharisees because there are so many things that Jesus says about the Pharisees when he reveals so many of the wickedness and, and so much of the evil that so many of the Pharisees were engaging in. But not every single Pharisee was a terrible person. We read about some of the Pharisees who actually followed Jesus. There are some Pharisees who, who joined the church. But the Pharisee that Jesus mentions in this story was one of those who trusted in himself that he was righteous and treated others with contempt. What it meant for the Pharisee to trust in himself that he was righteous was for him to not recognize his need before God. Now the Pharisee did a lot of great things, but it did not remove his need for God's mercy, and he was unable to see that. Instead of leaning on God for help, the Pharisee became convinced that his good deeds made him right in God's sight, that they were enough to make up for whatever bad he may have done, and that he didn't actually need God's help. That's why he didn't even ask God for anything, because he had done it. But his devotion to God was actually driving him away from God. What we forget is that even if we clean ourselves up entirely and we do all of the religious things that we think we're supposed to do, we are still unworthy servants. Just a little while earlier, before this, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, when you have done all that you were commanded, how many of us can say that? But when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So where does that leave us? We realize that we are totally unable to earn God's grace, even if we could be perfect from this point for the rest of our lives, there would be no hope. So now what? What do we do? We can't do anything. So what can be done? This is where the gospel shines bright. In this moment of despair, we realize when we realize there's nothing we can do, we must hear the words of Jesus. He speaks in Matthew 9. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For, listen to Jesus, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came for sinners. And if we are unable to admit our sin, then Jesus has nothing to offer us. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Christ did not become man to simply recognize those who were doing a really good job. He did not die on a cross to make up for the little bit that the good people lacked. He became man and died on a cross. 
because we are all poor, miserable sinners and are hopeless without God's mercy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That has to be our chorus. This is what the tax collector knew and the Pharisee just could not understand. Fasting and tithing will never put you right with God. We cannot, by these religious things, make ourselves righteous. And when we start to lift ourselves up, as we see with the Pharisee, it affects how we see other people. The Pharisee may have started out his life with good intentions. He may have been truly pursuing God whenever he started doing all the things that he did with all his fasting, all his tithing. He may truly have had a pure heart when that started. And if he had simply kept his eyes on God, he never would have had a problem. Because when a person is focusing on God, it's impossible for our pride to swell. When brought before the mighty throne of God, it, we can do nothing but admit our own unworthiness. When we are in the presence of the perfect creator, it is easy for us to see our imperfection. As long as the Pharisee's eyes were on God, he wouldn't have had a problem. It's whenever he stopped looking up and started looking around that the Pharisee would have a problem. That's when he would lose his footing. When he looked around, he saw the prostitutes. He saw the adulterers. He saw the thieves. He saw the tax collectors. And suddenly his whole perspective changed. When he started focusing on all these people around him, who he would consider sinners, all of a sudden he didn't look so bad. All of a sudden he started to look pretty good. When he was looking at God, he realized his own sinfulness. But the minute he started to notice the tax collector, he forgot his sinfulness. That was his error. This is how he came to pray, God, I thank you that I'm not like the tax collector instead of God, forgive me for I am not like you. How easy it is for us to fall down that slippery slope. You know, maybe once in your life, if you're a Christian, maybe once in your life, you realize your need for God's mercy. You realize that you are helpless and hopeless without God. But you know, it's really easy for us as we get on in our lives and we try to be better. We try to follow God. We try to be more obedient. It's really easy, us, easy for us to stop looking up at God and look around and notice all the people around us. And suddenly our perspective has changed and we start thinking like the Pharisee that, well, maybe I'm not so bad after all. Maybe I don't need that much help. Maybe they're the ones that need the help. We forget our own inadequacy. Does this describe you when you think of some of those groups that I mentioned earlier? And I'm sure you can think of all sorts of other groups. When you think about these people, does it make you feel good about yourself? Do you get satisfaction about thinking about how much better you are than them? About how much better you are than your coworkers, than your classmates, maybe people in your own family, maybe some of the people in this building? 
Do you get satisfaction about thinking how much better you are than them? Put your eyes back on Christ. Stop looking around and look up. Stop praying, God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as them. And start praying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is not a story for the long ago and far away. This is a story for you and for me. This is a story for us. This may have taken place 2,000 years ago, but Jesus could have easily told this story with you and I as the characters. So what does this story reveal to you about yourself? Have you been trusting in your own righteousness? Have you been looking around and seeing all those who are so much worse than you? It's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting to try to make your righteousness all about how good you are. So stop. Stop running and turn to Christ. Christ is already been perfect and already been the perfect sacrifice so you can stop pretending that you are perfect. The psalmist sings, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. Where does your help come from? From yourself or from God? God's mercy is available to all who will humble themselves and trust in him for their righteousness. If we can help you, please come forward while we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.